Welcome to the Wind Manager Podcast. This is your host, Greg Bryan from Telegeography. And we are doing another episode that takes a deep dive into a telegeography coverage area. Specifically this time, our WAN cost benchmark service that allows sellers or buyers of multinational corporate networks to price out WANs element by element and site by site. So to help us with that, I have invited my colleague, Mike Basea, who is the head of our data science department here at uh, Telegeography. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Greg. How's it going? Doing all right. So yeah, we'll see if um, uh, you and I can have a conversation about benchmarking that's not too long and too detailed for the listeners, right? That's the hope. Yeah. Okay. So before our interview, I want to take a look at the data. Uh, If you've listened to our previous episodes of this podcast, you've heard me talk about our WAN manager survey a lot. And of course, if you are a WAN manager and you're listening to this and you've not taken the 2020 Telegeography WAN manager survey, you should do so right now. We'll have a link to it in in, uh, the notes or blog about this episode. Uh, But we've collected data about network and configuration uh, for multinational WANs around the world um, in both 2018 and 2019. So we know a little bit about what some sort of typical um, enterprises look like. Uh, From a provider standpoint, about 55% of our respondents use some mix of global and regional providers. uh, And that's we're talking MPLS and DIA mostly there. Uh, Only about a quarter in, in our past two years of data, we're going with a a single global provider, um, which used to be pretty common, uh, as I recall, for for our benchmark customers. Um, In terms of products, MPLS is still the center of the WAN. I've talked a lot about this elsewhere, and and I even have a lengthy blog post about it, uh, about the future of MPLS, if you want to check that out. But around 67% of sites uh, on average are are running MPLS still. And DIA uh, is only at about a third of sites, uh, though I think we're going to see that shifting uh, increasingly as time goes on. And then just to pull out um, one particular uh, industry segment, industrials uh, and publishing and media had the least MPLS. So they were the most likely to have moved on to internet. They're only around 50% of their sites average across all those companies that have MPLS. So in terms of bandwidth, DIA and broadband both skew toward higher capacities uh, than MPLS, which is kind of not surprising because MPLS is more expensive. 70% of MPLS connections are 50 megs or below, uh, only about 45 are uh, 10 megabits or, or below. Um, so, and, and that sh- shifts a little bit uh, higher when you go DIA and broadband, like I said. And then last thing that uh, relates to our benchmarking practice, uh, more than 60% of enterprises have MPLS backups, and those are split pretty evenly between active and passive. Um, uh, But it's important to note when you're thinking about this that that usually means in either case redundant access lines. So since the access can make up a significant portion of the cost of of a network, uh, whether your your backups are active or passive, if they have an additional access line that's always on, it really still makes a big difference in the cost of the network. So that was uh, some background data, and now we'll get into talking to Mike Bisea, head of data science at Telegeography. All right. Hey, Mike, um, there's a bunch of data for you. You're probably going to talk a lot more about data. 
Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, but, but but before we do that, I thought it would be useful for you to just introduce yourself. Tell us about uh, telegeography's benchmarking practice, uh, what we benchmark, for whom, uh, what purposes, and importantly, how does it work? Absolutely. So, hi, everyone. My name is Mike Pasea. Uh, I head up the data team here at Telegeography. And Greg, you know me. I mean, it's in the title. I'm a data guy. So I, yeah. I always appreciate starting at the top with all that, all those stats. It really helps set the table. Um, our group uh, is really focused at Telegeography on any project that is going to require tapping a large number of uh, often quite large data sets uh, and working on product deployment in terms of software development and providing new tools to interact with our wealth of pricing infrastructure data about the telecom industry. Um, we do a lot of work with the pricing team um, and our group uh, helped build out the current WAN cost benchmark platform that we're going to be talking a little about today. Um, but to your first question, Greg, what do we do with this? What is the benchmark? Um, mm -hmm. it, is a, it is a cost analysis for uh, a wide variety of WAN designs and configurations. Um, it's, the focus is providing an unbiased third-party view on pricing for corporate WANs, uh, it, including underlay connectivity, uh, rented equipment like uh, CPE routers, um, and increasingly overlay services like SD-WAN. Um, the goal is everybody really to bring, yeah. wants to, to figure out how to change their network these days, right? Which I'm jumping ahead. We're going to get there, but yeah. Yeah, yeah everyone does. Um, but uh, you know, we have all these data sources available in a, in a wide variety of databases that we have at Telegeography. But uh, this service is really built to provide a targeted view for a specific enterprise uh, as to what uh, they can expect to pay for a specific configuration of their network. Right. Uh, so worth worth uh, just explaining to the audience maybe a little more on that topic that we have a bunch of databases with hundreds of thousands of data points spanning decades in, in some cases. And, mm -hmm. and the idea here was to, to distill those data points into something specific to a particular network rather than having people sift through. Uh, like our telco clients might be more interested in doing sifting through a huge global database. This tailors it to them, basically. Yep, that's exactly right. I, I love working in database land, but uh, not everyone does, mm -hmm. and we understand that. So this is meant to be something a little more user-friendly for someone working on a specific project rather than needing uh, ongoing access uh, to the entire data set. Uh, this is for someone who really has a product they want to work on, uh, and we can really tailor it to that user. Mm -hmm. All right, so Mike, uh, who who uses this? Who who's the typical client, basically? Yeah, it, it's there's a variety of clients uh, segments that we work with. The most common is an enterprise WAN manager who's looking for some guidance on their current WAN design and cost structure. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we will occasionally do uh, work with some of the carrier community as well if they are perhaps going in for a renewal uh, on a key account. Um, they might come to us and look for a third party benchmark on how to approach that renewal. Um, and uh, we do also occasionally work with vendors who are looking at the cost implications of different network designs, uh, whether that's an SD-WAN vendor or some other kind of vendor. Um, they will so we're very neutral. We're, yeah. we're, we'll uh, inform all sides, let people make their own decisions, that kind of thing. Right? Yep, so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But again, the most common is that enterprise WAN manager. Right. Okay, and so uh, the enterprise is interested in sort of um, figuring out maybe what uh, an alternative configuration should look like or what they should be paying. Um, uh, what what do they get? What do we give them? Yeah, so uh, they will get access to our online WAN cost benchmark portal. Um, it is uh, meant to be a tool that lets them see 
uh, at a glance, all of the sites on their network, all the network components that they have for their WAN infrastructure, uh, and what we expect based on our analyses, uh, those WAN components to cost. Um, they can roll all those up by site, by total network. Um, they can do a lot of what-if analysis uh, to swap out different technologies or experiment with different configurations. Uh, and then they can also, because we are geography in our name, uh, do have geography in our name, we uh, also allow you to map it and, uh, and look at that on uh, um, which sites you're paying the most, the least, uh, and get some kind of geography analysis going. Yeah, space and place, as, as I called it in uh, geography <laughs> grad school, right, uh, is, is really important in the telecom world, which, you know, a lot of people realize, but maybe don't realize the full extent of that uh, idea. So, yeah. Yep, absolutely. All right, so um, now I can get to asking you some questions that I don't necessarily already exactly know the answer to, which is <laughs> fun, right? Yeah. Um, it's good to but, learn things, uh, Greg. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we, we understand now, I think, more what you're doing, what your team does with, with uh, MNC kind of networks. Um, but I'm curious, I, I looked this up when I was preparing this interview, um, our first benchmarking client was in quarter four of 2013. I remember working on that with you back when mm -hmm. I still did these myself uh, to some extent, right? Mm -hmm. um, so thinking back, we don't have to go all the way back to 2013, but thinking back five years or so, um, what would you say the, the primary reason that, uh, that enterprises were coming to us to get benchmarked uh, then? Yeah, it's it's been pretty interesting looking back. I, I did a bit of a retrospective to preparing for the discussion mm -hmm. today, and it's been an interesting evolution we've seen since we first started this practice. Um, when we first started doing these five plus years ago, um, the focus for the clients was really on getting the most out of their renewal process. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You would have customers who would usually be signing three to five year long-term contracts for their corporate WAN. It was often with a single supplier uh, or maybe one or two suppliers. Um, and it was primarily uh, an MPLS network that they were working with. Um, because MPLS is expensive, because they were working with a single supplier, um, and in a lot of cases, making sure you get the most out of that renewal uh, when, it uh, when it comes up every three to five years was really important. You could have a lot mm -hmm. of uh, uh, important cost savings um, to be had that you could leave on the table if you didn't benchmark the network and know exactly um, what you should be going into this, this process with. Um, yeah, and this is something we talk about a lot, which is that there's in in the telecom world, right? Um, uh, especially for people familiar with network services like you know wide area networks and transport and stuff, prices fall consistently, uh, fifteen twenty percent per year, but they don't mm -hmm. fall at the same rates for the same speeds, port sizes. They don't fall at the same rates in different geographies, and so. Um, you know, just saying, oh, my WAN cost should go down, you know, 15% uh, year on year doesn't really do it because it's m way more complex than that. And so I think working th with clients on thinking through that was was probably a big deal back then, right? So Yeah. And to some extent, that still is. Space and place hasn't yeah. gone anywhere. No, um, for sure. You know, the, but it was definitely the, the interest at the time on making sure you understood the cost implications over time, how much the usually the MPLS, maybe a few DIA sites here or there are falling mm -hmm. in key geographies, but most importantly, your most expensive geographies, um, because right. that is just generally where the most money was to be had in a, re in a, in a renegotiation. 
Um, Pity the people I, who have a site in, in Dubai and <laughs> right? it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, everyone I'm yeah. sure has a story about uh, their site in Dubai or in, 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 in mainland China that they have a, yes. a lot of issues with and is a big cost sink, but cost of Absolutely. doing business in a global, in a global marketplace. Indeed. No um, one, no one thinks of the network when they're doing their office site location uh, analysis, right? So, yeah. Eventually they do, but not yeah, up front. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, at the time, the other primary interest you would see from people doing uh, kind of what if analysis in this world was really focused on the single provider versus multi-provider strategy. That was really the big question. Um, right. It was, uh, should I go with that one-stop shop, maybe pay a little bit more to work with a global provider, or should I try to reap some of the price and diversification benefits from a multi-provider strategy, maybe two or three providers regionally around the world. Mm -hmm. um, but that was the primary interest in, in this. It was really about cost and it was really about, um, you know, more uh, market-based um, uh, based, uh, uh, redesigns. Right. So who should I work with? How can I work maybe these, some of these providers uh, uh, with or against each other uh, to get the best savings? Um, we're in a very different world now. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, are, what are the drivers now? What are, what are people, what questions are our customers asking when they, when they do their benchmark now? Yeah, these days, customers who come to us almost always have a WAN redesign project in mind. They're either underway with it or they have some things they've heard of um, in mm -hmm. uh, from their colleagues, perhaps at the WAN Summit. At a WAN uh, Summit, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. I got you there, Greg, don't worry. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, and, and they're interested in some of these new up-and-coming technologies that uh, they see being more uh, broadly utilized uh, across, the, across the market. Yeah, and I mean, you know, for, from the get-go, the argument surrounding SD-WAN hasn't just been, we'll make your WAN work better, which, you know, ostensibly, certainly it does, but it's always been focused around, um, you know, having this additional technology can lead to savings on the network side. So that's where we come in, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And as you said at the top, uh, helpfully, the, the MPLS is still the center of the WAN. Um, mm -hmm. you, you find, we still find that consistently in the WAN manager survey. Uh, but there are a much wider variety of technologies out there today. Um, and there are as many, if not more, use cases for those technologies from each company. Um, so again, SD-WAN is uh, definitely top of mind for a lot of our clients, um, as is integrating things like DIA and broadband into their network. Um, mm -hmm. where that makes sense for their business. Um, but all this adds complexity to the network and to the WAN manager role uh, in understanding and designing a network that gets uh, the most bang for your buck out of, uh, out of this new WAN design or WAN topology. Right. Not, not that it was easy five years ago, but uh, to some extent, um, there was a simplicity to going to you know, the usual suspects, Orange, ATT, Verizon, BT, whatever, and saying, I've got 250 sites and they need this much bandwidth, make it happen. Uh, whereas now there's maybe for, for a lot of uh, enterprises anyway, a, a more active role in thinking through exactly how to classify each office and, and all that sort of thing in terms of what they need rather than just say, make it happen, right? So. Yeah. And quite honestly, I, I think a lot of this is due to that the fact that in the global economy, more and more uh, value is being placed on digitizing your efforts and, and technology in general is seen as an asset. And the WAN is now being seen as an asset um, of the company rather than a cost. Um, mm -hmm. When it was a cost mm -hmm. in the past, then uh, you know, it was 
something you tried to minimize as much as possible, but you kind of knew you had to do it. So right. you, you threw as little money as you could at it while still getting decent performance. Now people are asking, what can I do? What can I, with my win? What can my win do for me? And how can it enable new apps and technology? Um, right. So it really changes how a WAN manager thinks about WAN topology. Um, that said, I always uh, caution people, um, especially WAN managers, you don't want to jump in with the new shiny technology just to do it. Just because people are now right. uh, might be a little right. more willing to throw some money at the new hot topic, you need to make sure you have a, a use case for it and know why you're doing it. Uh, because throwing capital at your WAN without specific goals in mind is a recipe for disappointment on all fronts. Especially doing that without having benchmarked it first, right? <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so, for, you know, if we transition from uh, an all MPLS kind of network, uh, which was typical several years ago, like you said, um, to something that uh, involves a, a bunch of new technologies, maybe SD WAN uh, to orchestrate all of those technologies. Um, uh, what are some of the more novel configurations that you've seen lately? This is where I really um, uh, am curious myself because I'll, I'll talk to a lot of these customers at the WAN Summit or on the phone or whatever, but um, but you and your team are the ones who who dig in and really take a look at uh, their their network once they send it in and that sort of thing and um, uh, get to know what folks are actually running these days. What's, what's some interesting uh, changes that you've seen there in terms of how they have their networks set up or configured these days? Yeah, no, there's there's definitely some interesting things going on. Um, one of the more recent ones that we've been seeing in a handful of new, of new benchmarks uh, is uh, some design concepts that really start separating out the core versus the edge and sometimes mm -hmm. multiple tiers mm -hmm. getting out to the edge. Um, in uh, previous iterations of the of the WAN, you might have seen one large MPLS cloud, um, but with your core sites having more uh, a larger MPLS port than, say, your edge sites. Right. Uh, right. Now we're seeing a lot more technology differentiation between core versus, say, that middle tier versus the edge sites. Um, so your core might be a set of data centers or processing hubs that are meshed together with high performance point to point links. Um, mm -hmm whether that's a full mesh or more often a partial mesh um, with each, uh, each hub having maybe one or two egress points to other um, hub locations. Uh, and that's all connected up with high performance wavelengths or what have you. Uh, and that that's is right. uh, especially right. in the cloud world these days where a lot of that, um, the, the high power data processing happens. Um, right. Then that is on a entirely separate network, uh, or that is only linked at a few specific nodes to say a DIA MPLS or broadband hybrid network that uh, mm -hmm. is uh, on more of the edge sites. Um, one network we viewed had this even uh, even a step further and had ed their their very edge sites um, using uh, SD WAN or sometimes just IPsec over broadband uh, to connect into a regional MPLS node. So you had this inner tier of MPLS mm -hmm. cloud. Um, that all of your uh, edge sites connected to over IPsec. And then that MPLS cloud had a few specific nodes that connected into the core. Um, right. So we're really seeing these uh, kinds of tiered solutions start to uh, crop their way into WAN design uh, rather than one all-encompassing cloud, um, mm -hmm. very specific technologies being used at different layers um, geographically of the network. Right. So it's not plug my office into to the internet anymore. It's uh, figure out what needs are at each of those different types of offices. I've, I've talked to quite a few WAN managers that that, uh, you know, do sort of like a 
gold, silver, bronze kind of ranking of all of their offices in terms of what or, or whatever sort of um, breakout you want to do, but um, that different types of offices have different needs and, and mm -hmm. different places they're connecting into. Of course, these Definitely. days, everybody's doing everything over IPsec anyway, because everyone's at home. But yeah, so, Well, this is true. This, uh, is, this yeah, is an interesting yeah. test case and how well that goes. Um, in, but even indeed. to your point on gold, silver, bronze, in the past, that could have been different class of service tiers on a MPLS network uh, or right. something like that. Now that is entirely different technologies being used at each of those tier sites. So, right, exactly. Uh, While well, a lot of the broadband. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, the, the nomenclature is, is still often around when you talk to the man mm -hmm. managers from the old world, but what it means under the hood is changing quite a bit. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. now, uh, the WAN is the underlay, right? So that mm -hmm. really took hold. The underlay and overlay nomenclature really took hold the last few years. So That's we used true. to call it networks, yeah. That's true, yeah. The other thing that we've been finding uh, uh, quite interesting is the discussion around diversity. Um, mm -hmm. We used to, again, uh, go back five, six years, um, someone would tell us whether or not their site had backup at it. Um, now, that was usually, do I have a backup port or a backup access line? Now, right. uh, when someone says uh, talks about their diversity strategy or talks about their backup strategy, they are uh, they're often much more sophisticated discussions that we're having, where people are talking about supplier diversity, fiber route diversity, um, technology diversity. You know, am I using uh, different uh, MPLS versus DIA versus some kind of broadband from different providers? Mm -hmm. um, even down to uh, what kind of CPEs am I using? Do I have not only a backup CPE, but am I using multiple vendors? Um, right. Some of the, uh, we've seen one or two benchmarks that have taken this uh, quite far in terms of what they mean by diverse. Um, mm -hmm. in, our, in our current view, we've, I think we've seen individual uh, uh, sites that have up to seven, eight, nine different network components um, across ports, access lines, uh, CPEs with all of their associated backups. Um, so what is actually associated with a site uh, is becoming much more um uh, much more granular and much more uh, diversified depending on uh, the needs of that site. Um, it's it's really interesting. It's a, a, it seems like there's a shift in some respects of the the responsibility. Uh, obviously, you can get a fully managed network, or maybe you have uh, an outside managed services provider or whatever. So it's not to say that everyone's doing this themselves. A lot of our customers, I suspect, are. Uh, because that's that's who needs the the information from us directly themselves. But uh, that the carriers used to be responsible for a lot of that, right? So it used to be the the sourcing team at your enterprise service provider was the one who worried about whether your fiber uh, was going through a different duct or whatever. Whereas now you're seeing enterprises themselves really thinking a lot more about how their physical and provider diversity um, uh, it. it is at you know site by site rather than just saying ah that's my carrier's job right so mm -hmm. yeah uh, again uh, to use this contrast between five or six years ago and now frame in the past uh, if there was a network outage uh, you might say oh well a network outage in general might cost me X um, mm -hmm. so I have to, I should make sure I spend some amount of money to prevent that kind of outage really we're seeing more visibility down to the site level how, how much per minute do I lose if this specific site is down. Right. Um, and it really be, it really drives your strategy at the individual site level. Um, uh, and there's often a huge difference between uh, the, uh, the, each of those sites. And it's not always related to how much capacity there is. You might have a very small site that runs a very important function that if it goes right. down, you lose a lot of money. So it's, right. does, it's not necessarily an easy mapping of 
high security and high reliability at my gig sites and uh, and not at my right. five megs. Uh, it really yeah. uh, goes down to the business case. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you have like, you know, whatever it is, say, say a factory that uh, the, the business depends on that factory to be producing X amount of widgets per minute. And um, uh, even if, if it's mostly an automated factory, it's running a lot of very low bandwidth IoT stuff or whatever the case may be. Um, it's still crucial that uh, you don't lose an hour of widget making or whatever, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, in terms of uh, running the WAN manager survey and doing the WAN summit, I, I end up talking to a lot of, of network managers, um, even if I don't dive into their networks in the same way that you do. Uh, and almost all of them are really considering some of these alternative configurations that we've been talking about, MPLS hybrid, maybe all... Uh, all internet, um, setting up their own backbones, like you mentioned, um, uh, pushing more data and apps into the cloud. How does this affect the the, the benchmark process or even the sort of need to benchmark, you know, uh, like we've been saying, contrasting it with that, like all MPLS network of, of several years ago? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I think it, it certainly complicates the benchmark process, primarily because you have a lot more to benchmark. You have a lot more individual components to track internally. Um, uh, and in general, when you increase the complexity of your WAN, um, you need to have increased visibility into it as well. Otherwise, you start losing track of what you have deployed at what sites, how much are they costing you, and mm-hmm. More importantly, why you decided to deploy that in the first place. Is it still doing what you meant it to do um, now that you've moved, say, a cloud app, an application to the cloud? Um, whenever you do something like that, uh, there's going to be a knock-on effect on your WAN um, and uh, making sure you have not only a good inventory of what you have deployed, but what functions is it serving? Um, when you push it, say, again, to go back to this, this, this uh, cloud migration example, um, if you are pushing a very processing heavy app now into the cloud, you may have reduced some traffic volume to your edge sites. But on the other hand, you may have uh, in, uh, integrated a cloud technology the, that uh, where it used to have some processing happening at the edge, it's now in the uh, it's now in the uh, in the cloud, and you now need to have uh, more traffic out to that edge to communicate with that edge piece of equipment or something like that. Um, so it really can go either way. Um, it's hard to take a just a heuristic and apply it across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure you not only are, are, are benchmarking to make sure you understand what you put in place, but continuing to actively monitor how that lines up with your traffic flows. Uh, it really makes keeping on top of this all the more important in my view. Well, that's a that's a good plug for for having a TEM service. We we don't do TEM ourselves at Telegeography, but we have a, a TEM partner and uh, I think that's one of the key arguments, right, is that um, I think we have found that our benchmark customers sometimes have to go through considerable effort to even do a benchmark because they have to understand their their inventory as it stands right now before they can even do the kind of analysis that you're talking about. And that's not always very straightforward, right? So. Today's episode is brought to you by our free ebook all about benchmarking. So if you've enjoyed hearing about our data and reading about our hypothetical network benchmarking, then I think you might be interested in this particular resource. So uh, our collection of network data from sites around the world puts us in this unique position to share what we've learned using a hypothetical network that we put together 
just to review how minor and sometimes major changes to your network can move you closer to some specific goals like increasing your resiliency and reducing your overall spend. So if that sounds interesting, go to today's show notes, click the link, and you can download your free copy right there. Um, but now I really want to get into the behind the curtain, as it were. So, um, Mike, you are managing this team of our folks who who actually do the benchmarks. Um, and I want you to kind of take us through the whole process. We get a customer from the sales team. Maybe someone like me has talked to them on the phone and, and uh, you know, they've decided oh, no one talks on the phone anymore, do they? Well, whatever, whatever platform. Um, uh and they've decided they want to go for it. Uh, they have 250 sites around the globe. They're running a variety of services. Uh, take us through what happens. They've signed the, the purchase order. Uh, what comes next? Yeah. So as soon as we get that go ahead, uh, we will immediately reach out if we haven't already um, and ask them for a site list by address um, for all of their locations that they are either on their entire network or the ones that they're benchmarking. Um, mm -hmm. And we're asking them for an inventory of products, capacities, and technologies that they deploy at that site. Um, are you running MPLS or broadband or some hybrid at that site? Um, do you or will you be adding an SD-WAN overlay to it? Mm -hmm. um, what CPE routers do you have in place? Um, what is your backup strategy? Um, and then uh, which of those sites are your core data center or processing hubs and which are your edge locations? Um, it sounds like a lot of information, and truthfully, it is because we try to make this as uh, granular and specific a view to this uh, tailored network view. Right. The, the more we know, the, the better the, uh, the output is, right? Exactly. So. Exactly. So we do get pretty detailed, but we have our request dialed down to a, manage, uh, a decently manageable template um, that we will send over to them and ask them to fill out with their site information. Um, now, sometimes that's very easy for them to do. Um, uh, if they already have a lot of this uh, well-tracked internally, um, then it's maybe one or two uh, clicks on an export function. Um, mm -hmm. If not, then sometimes it can be a pretty uh, uh, a little bit of a drawn-out process to go through and talk to multiple sub-teams to figure out who has bought what over, uh, over, the, the, over a certain period. Yeah, I've definitely talked to quite a few folks who, whether it's because of M and A or you know the the way that the IT team was was uh, just organized from an HR standpoint and whatnot, that uh, don't all the left hand doesn't always know what the right hand is doing, right? So yeah, it's true, it's true. Um, but the first step is really getting that initial input from them. Mm -hmm. um, and then when they come back to us with that list, um, almost universally, we will continue to follow up with them with a few rounds of follow-up questions, have one or two calls to walk through right. exactly what they put in, exactly what they mean about these detailed configurations. We all like to and, think we yeah. speak the same network language, uh, but everyone has their own, I mean, their, their, own uh, their own specific flavor. Just just between different carriers, uh, the, the, the telecom lingo can change carrier to carrier, let alone customer to customer. It's uh, it can be frustrating sometimes, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. So we, we get deep into the weeds on that discussion and try to make sure mm -hmm. we have as clean a view um, at, uh, as to what they have deployed today uh, as, right. as we can. Um, in some cases, they where they may not know some of the answers to some of those questions, um, we will you know put in some basic assumptions that we have from our history of doing these kinds of benchmarks. So we do mm -hmm. have that capability, but right. again, we try to tailor it as much as we can. Um, it is it is also often at this time that we hear from a, a client, hmm, 
we hadn't thought about that. Well, let's see both right. options. Yes. Um, so uh, yeah. clients who I originally thought, I just want to look at uh, my network uh, as it is today, um, pretty early on start seeing, oh, I actually do want to do scenario analysis. Um, right, right. So we really right. have that built in from the tool and they start seeing why we include that pretty early on. Yeah, exactly. So so you say this is network as it currently stands. These are the the ways that we might envision it being in the future. Exactly. Yeah. So really just by asking questions of them in that initial mm -hmm. uh, back and forth, it really helps clarify exactly what they have in place or what they're trying to do, um, what their goals right. are with this whole process. All right, so back to the geography part, right? So uh, mm -hmm. being at Telegeography, and I'm honestly curious at how you're managing this kind of stuff these days uh, specifically, but um, one of the ideas behind the benchmark was that we have this global database. It's huge, um, but any given uh, multinational uh, only has you know sites at specific places. We get this site list from them. Sometimes that's specific addresses, right? Uh, uh, maybe may, at least... Uh, postcodes or, or that kind of information. Mm -hmm. What do you do? How do you how do you then take that network and make it match with uh, what what data telegeography have uh, from our surveys? Yeah, no, it's, so the first step is we is we geocode all that information. Um, so we have some tools we use to make sure we have, you know, specific lat longs for everywhere. And then we start doing uh, a lot of map work. Uh, we start uh, trying to see what data we have in our in our data sets. Um, how, uh, where the closest um, port hubs would be to all of their locations, match those up accordingly. Um, and then from the access side, uh, what uh, distances they are away from those, uh, their sites are mm -hmm. from those hub locations. So we can uh, start getting in the correct distance bands to match up with our access lines. Um, right. Those are the two real um, geographic components that we need uh, a, a port city. Um, again, this is for port-based um, uh, analyses uh, at that site a port city, and then a local loop, an access line to extend from the pop location out to the customer address. Uh, so and you have a lot of that automated, right? I mean, is there, oh. long ago, folks, uh, I, uh, Mike and I would, would personally do a lot of this uh, uh, geographic research on our own, but most of that's all done on the back end now, right? So. Yeah, at this point, we have some more sophisticated machine learning algorithms we will use to match up the best geographies that we have. Um, not only from a strict uh, geography perspective, but also building in the data that is available in those geographies. As mm -hmm. you said at the top, not every carrier we work with uh, to collect and source this kind of anonymized information um, works everywhere. Uh, there are invariably going to be specific geographies that are difficult to benchmark, whether that's Afghanistan uh, or you know some parts of uh, rural China where you only have one or two uh, um Right. By law, <laughs> in a closed market, exactly. uh, information on that kind of uh, scenario is harder to come by. I always um, say landlocked Africa, the stands in China, everywhere else we can get you something, right? So, yeah, yeah. Those, so, I mean, th th those are, are it's a good uh, it's a good rule of thumb. Those are areas we're going to have to put some more time in. So, um, mm -hmm. again, we our first step is to geocode it and run it through our, our algorithms to get the best out of the box matches that we can um, to all of our our data sets. After that. We don't want to just rely on, we've passed it to this algorithm and we spit it out, here you go. Um, we really then, for those edge cases, bring in our analyst team uh, and rely on their uh, local knowledge of each of these markets that they cover much more extensively than our, uh, than our machine learning algorithm does um, and use their expertise to tune the, uh, the, the initial match specifically for those geographies where it 
needs the most attention. So we haven't been made redundant by the AI quite yet, right? So, <laughs> Not quite yet. We only yeah. need a couple more years, but uh, you know, yeah. right. Let's have another podcast in five years, and we can talk That's about right. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, that it, it's it, there's still definitely a lot of value in that because. Um, especially in some of these edge markets, uh, you may not get someone who works in a closed uh, a company, even from a closed market, who is willing to fill out a survey revealing their prices. So we need to rely on uh, a variety of sources, conversations, kind of person-to-person um, research and analysis. Uh, so our, our analyst team is still a, a, a very important part of uh, any any benchmark that we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've we've gotten their data we've matched it to our data um the the first thing they're going to get back of course is a uh, th- this is your network as it currently stands um then w- what do we do for the sort of what if or scenario analysis um uh w- what does that mean exactly yeah so there's a couple different options you can go with um some carriers uh, some clients when they come to us uh will want to look uh, at a series of um, what-if analyses of different configurations they are considering out of the box. And they know that when they come to us. In those scenarios, we will often tell them, sure, give us those scenarios that you want. We will build them and load them into the tool for you. You can look at them side by side. You can look at cost comparisons by sites and by network. Um, It's a nice thing to be able to provide our clients with some of that out of the box when we deliver all of this in their online tool. They can log in and they see it all right there for them. Um, So that's one option. Uh, The other option is carriers might just want to look at their initial configuration and then experiment with it themselves from there. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So we do allow them in the portal to create a cloned copy of their original network that they gave to us and make any changes they like. They can add sites, they can remove sites, they can change the capacity configurations or products that they're using. Uh, They can dial bandwidth up and down depending on the needs they have for that location. Uh, so it really lets them go in with a fine-tooth comb uh, and, uh, and change a lot of the underlying assumptions that we put into our network, our, our initial benchmark, um, and look at a couple different scenarios that they themselves can build um, as, as they please. Um, so there's really both options. Um, there's the uh, request it from us, we'll take care of it and push it into your tool for you. Uh, or if they really want to get into it themselves, they can create their own copies and their own versions. Yeah. And, you know, for what it's worth, I, I, a lot of you might have read my blog series from about a year ago, uh, started it a year ago. So um, that uh, looks at like a hypothetical network and I made a bunch of changes. I used our tool doing it exactly the same way the, that an enterprise customer would. So that was um, it worked. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Always good to hear. Yeah. All right. So uh, from from that view of sort of, uh, you know, the magic behind the curtain, what's what's the biggest challenge from a from a process standpoint uh, for you and the, the data team working on this? Yeah, I, I think there are two two of them, which we've already kind of uh, alluded to. But the first is making sure we have uh, that specific configuration information from the end user up front. Mm-hmm. Um, we occasionally will. Uh, go through that process at the beginning, but we realize once we've delivered the benchmark that one of the inputs, maybe one of the regional groups they worked with uh, had an out-of-date file, or uh, they were actively uh, uh, rolling something out and we benchmarked the uh, the future state, but not the current state um, mm-hmm. of that p- component of the network. Um, so really going back and forth and making sure we understand that upfront, we try to do as best we can, but sometimes you don't find out about that till a little farther down the line. That can be a challenge, but um, that's one that 
in this kind of uh, the data discovery process uh, that we go through is part of the value of the service in itself. Mm -hmm. It forces mm -hmm. everyone to get on the same page. Um, so, you know, we make sure we take that very seriously. Um, the other, and we've already mentioned, it's those edge case geographies. We spend right. a lot of uh, uh, the largest amount of our time going through those edge cases with our analysts. We're using any information we can find. Um, we will occasionally go out and try to do some spots, uh, uh, some geography specific um, uh, spot analyses and outreach to try to fill um, a, a, a need for a specific quote that a customer might have. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll try to roll that in. Um, but yeah, getting all of that ground level knowledge uh, incorporated into the benchmark um, takes a lot of time. But uh, again, uh, a lot of the value is in that is in that 20%. 80% we might be able to do quite easily uh, based on just pulling straight from the database and we feel confident right. with all those figures. Um, but making sure we spend the time to vet and uh, and really dial in that other 20% of the edge cases is is really key because they're often the most expensive uh, and they're often where uh, there can be the most uh, uh, the most leverage for the clients um, if they know how if they know what they should be paying in those markets. So, so what you're saying there is you want the sales team to specifically go after accounting firms and law firms that have uh, all their offices in major metros in multi-tenant office buildings, right? So From my day-to-day -day time, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But uh, but no, it's it, there's there's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of global businesses out there. So uh, and usually we don't get too many people who come to us with a. Uh, a with a with a network that is completely adversarial in terms of uh, its geography makeup, yeah, yeah. so so that's that's usually nice. Well, and that's the strength of of the sort of access data that we have in broadband is that I mean, it really does go pretty much everywhere that uh, that there are uh, enterprise kind of customers. So, yep, it may exactly. be more difficult, but we can do something, right? So, for sure. All right. So moving on to the future, we've had this tool in place for, I don't know, several years now and um, have been taking uh, advice uh, from from customers and that sort of thing. So we're working now on our WAN cost benchmark 2.0. Um, what changes are you making? Uh, what are you hoping to bring customers in this uh, next iteration of the tool? Yeah. So uh, it's an interesting reflection of how things have changed from when we first built the tool. Uh, when we first did this, again, we, as we said at the top, a lot of primarily MPLS or DIA port-based networks. Um, we are now seeing uh, a lot more SD-WAN, a lot more point-to-point -point links being integrated into some kind of uh, core mesh. Um, mm -hmm. At the moment, we still have all that information but at the, uh, that we can deliver to our clients, but we do it uh, as an addendum outside right. of the core platform. So we're right. integrating SD-WAN and point-to-point uh, -point links sp uh, uh, specifically um, natively into the platform. So you can see that side-by-side -side with your port-based uh, uh, port sites. So mm -hmm. that we're excited about uh, and definitely meshes more with how WAN managers are looking at uh, their network today. Right. Um, uh, we are also adding some more flexibility into um, adding multiple cost components to a single site within the tool. So um, at the moment, there are uh, only a handful of components you can put. They're the most common components. Um, but if you want to add, say, multiple CPEs, multiple different ports with different technologies, at mm -hmm. the moment, that shows up as a lot of extra rows in your uh, in your table, um, right. rather than uh, uh, assigning those all to an individual site that you can drill into and really kind of uh, configure it to your heart's content. So, like somebody um, comes to us, they have 250 sites around the world, 250 addresses, but their benchmark might be 500 if they're running dual services at all of those and that sort of exactly. Thing. And that can get a little confusing from a inventory management perspective to compare your own sites with uh, with how we've broken out the network. So we're trying right. to simplify that down to a really bucket um, site 
price components um, into a, a single site rather than broken out as much as they currently are. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've talked to a fair bit of WAN managers who say having adopted SD-WAN, they actually want, I mean, literally three or four different uh, underlay transport uh, mm-hmm. options at every site. So you might have, you know, your your DIA, your broadband and LTE and, and you know, some satellite link or something uh, at, at crucial sites. So it'd be nice to have all of that together. Although we don't cover satellite and likely never will, but just <laughs> to throw that in. <laughs> It's a good caveat to throw in there. Yeah. Um, the last thing we're kind of looking at is uh, um, increasing some of the bulk operations we allow uh, to make um, this kind of what-if analysis a little easier. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, uh, it involves going into each site and configuring each one. Um, now, if you have a very large network, that can be time-consuming. Um, the reason we do it is uh, we want to make sure you uh, are actively um, selecting all the specific changes you want um, and... Uh, Making sure that is well uh, well revealed within the within the network cost model. Um, mm-hmm. We're doing some modeling work on the back end to allow people to more uh, seamlessly make bulk changes um, rather than uh, you know having to do individual tweaking. So we're excited about that. Uh, it's a bit of a modeling project on our end to um, allow you to kind of do those cost curves a little more simply. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's a fun exercise for us, and uh, we're looking forward to rolling it into the next version of the tool. Excellent. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it and playing with it and maybe writing some new blog post analysis. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, cool. Definitely. All right, Mike, I think that's that's been a lot of information, um, taking a, a much deeper look at uh, at what a benchmark is and why we do it and, and what it means. Um, but I have to end with my um, uh, uh, unrelated uh, COVID kind of question of the week, um, uh, usually about quarantine. Um, but this time I thought I would mix it up a little because, uh, you became a dad for the first time. What was it like maybe, uh, six months ago, somewhere around there? Yeah. Just turned seven months. So, uh, it's been, yeah, yeah. it's been, it's been very exciting. Uh, you know, beyond the uh, stereotypical lack of sleep, (laughs) you know, uh, things have been going very well. Seven months Um, you're, you're setting into a rhythm, right? So exactly. Yeah. Our, our, the most recent excitement is, uh, uh, son jack uh learning how that he can move himself around the room a little bit uh not by crawling but by just rolling across the room to get where he wants to go so that's been uh that's been a fun thing to watch yeah you know it's a little view into human development right exactly Exactly. all right so what's been the most fun part or what has been the most fun yeah what's what's been the biggest challenge then (laughs) well no the challenge is i mean in in uh in the COVID world, uh, the, the lack of childcare is certainly uh, something that's 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 tough. Um, so uh, my wife and I are definitely tag teaming it uh, quite a bit to try to cover all our bases. But day, the day to day itself is also very fun. You know, we get to spend a lot of time with a guy, and uh, it's it's a blessing in disguise. You know, we get to really get a good relationship with them built from day one. So it's uh, it's been a it's been really fantastic at the end of the day. When there's more of them and they're fighting while you're trying to uh, think through a complicated uh, market sizing equation, you will disagree. I can just tell you that right now. I'm sure my story will change by kid number two. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, yeah, quarantine has been interesting, certainly. So excellent. All right. Well, congrats on that. And thanks for uh, uh, being able to find a time where there was no screaming children in the background that uh, that you could talk to us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for having me, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you next time. All right. Cheers. Thanks. 
Thanks very much for listening. The Wayne Manager podcast is brought to you by Telegeography, a division of Primetrica Incorporated, and is edited and produced by Jane Miller. I wrote the theme song you're listening to right now, and we get administrative canine support from my dog, Honeybun, who you might hear chiming in from time to time when the mood strikes her. If you want to learn more about our data, head over to telegeography.com, where you can find our blog that covers many of the topics we hit here, and you can sign up for our WAN Manager newsletter. Until next time, have a great day.